Hello and welcome to another episode of Covenant and Conversation with me, Rabbi Sachs. In each new episode, we'll explore a Jewish idea from the Hebrew Bible based on the Torah reading of the week. Re'e, collective joy. If we were to ask what key word epitomizes the society Jews were to make in the Promised Land, several concepts would come to mind. Justice, compassion, reverence, respect, holiness, responsibility, dignity, loyalty. Surprisingly, though, a quite different word figures centrally in Moshe Rabbeinu's speeches in Deuteronomy. It's a word that appears only once, in each of the other books of the Torah, Bereshish, Shmos, Vayikra, and Bumidbo, it appears only once. It appears in Devarim 12 times, seven of them in our parsha of Ra'eh. The word is Simcha, joy. It's a very unexpected word. The story of the Israelites thus far has not been a joyous one. It's been marked by suffering on the one hand, rebellion and dissension on the other. Yet Moshe makes it eminently clear that joy is what the life of faith in the land of promise is about. Here are the seven instances in the, this parasha. Number one, the central sanctuary, initially Shiloh and eventually Jerusalem. And there, in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your family shall eat and rejoice in everything you've put your hand to. Jerusalem and the temple, and there you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. Sacred food that's only to be eaten in Jerusalem. Eat them in the presence of the Lord your God at the place the Lord your God will choose. And you rejoice before the Lord your God in everything you put your hand to. My Sesheni, the second tithe. Use silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, etc. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. The festival of Shavuot. And rejoice before the Lord your God. The festival of Sukkot, be joyful of your feast. Sukkot again, and your joy will be complete. Vayita ach sameach, seven times. Rejoice. Why does Moses emphasize joy, specifically in the book of Devarim? Perhaps because it is there, in the speeches Moses delivered in the last month of his life, that he scaled the heights of prophetic vision never reached by anyone else before or since. It's as if, standing on a mountain top, he sees the whole course of Jewish history unfold below him, and from that dizzying altitude he brings back a message to the people gathered around him. The next generation, the children of those he led out of Egypt, the people who will cross the Jordan and he will and, uh, enter the land he is only able to see from afar. And what he tells them is unexpected and counterintuitive. In effect, he says this, You know what your parents suffered. You heard about their slavery in Egypt. You yourselves have known what it is to wander in the wilderness without a home or shelter or security. You may think they, those were the greatest trials, but you're wrong. You're about to face a harder trial. The real test is security and contentment. Absurd though this sounds... It proved true throughout Jewish history. In the many centuries of dispersion and persecution, from the destruction of the Second Temple to the 19th century, no one raised doubts about Jewish continuity. They didn't ask, will we have Jewish grandchildren? 
only since Jews achieved freedom and equality in, di- in the diaspora and independence and sovereignty in the state of Israel, has that question come to be asked. When Jews had little to thank God for, they thanked him. They prayed to him. They came to the synagogue, they came to Shul, they came to the Beit Midrash to hear and heed his word. It was when they had everything to thank him for that many turned their backs on the synagogue and the house of study. Moses was giving prophetic expression to the great paradox of faith. It's easy to speak to God in tears. It's hard to serve God in joy. It's the warning he delivered the people as the people came within sight of their destination. Once there, they were in danger of forgetting that the land was theirs only because of God's promise to them and only for as long as they remembered their promise to God. Simcha is usually translated as joy, rejoicing, gladness, happiness, pleasure, delight. In fact, Simcha has a nuance, untranslatable into English. Joy, happiness, pleasure and the like are all states of mind. They're emotions. They belong to the individual. We can feel them alone. Simcha by contrast, is not a private emotion. It means happiness shared. It's a social state, a predicate of we, not I. There is no such thing as feeling simcha alone. Moses repeatedly labours the point. When you rejoice, it must be you, your sons and daughters, your men servants and maidservants and the Levites, the strangers, the orphans and the widows in your towns. A key theme of Parshat Ra'eh is the idea of a central sanctuary in the place the Lord your God will choose. As we know from later Jewish history, this was Jerusalem where Solomon eventually built the temple. What Moses is articulating for the first time is the idea of Simcha as communal, social and national rejoicing. The nation was to be brought together not just by crisis catastrophe or impending war, but by collective celebration in the presence of God. The celebration itself was to be deeply moral. Not only was this a religious act of thanksgiving, it was also to be a form of social inclusion. No one was to be left out, not the stranger or the servant or the lonely, the orphan or the widow. And in a remarkable passage in the Mishnah Torah, the Rambam makes this point in the strongest possible terms. He's talking about uh, celebration on Yom Tov. And he says, And while one eats and drinks himself, it is his duty to feed the stranger, the orphan, the widow, and other poor and unfortunate people. For one who locks the doors to his courtyard and eats and drinks with his wife and family without giving anything to eat and drink to the poor and the bitter in soul, his meal is not a rejoicing in a divine commandment, but a rejoicing in his own stomach. And then he goes on to deliver some very pointed and negative biblical verses condemning such people. Moses' insight remains valid today. The West is more affluent than any previous society has ever been. Our life expectancy is longer, our standards of living higher, and our choice is wider than at any time since Homo sapiens first walked on Earth. Yet Western societies are not measurably happier. The most telling indices of unhappiness 
drug and alcohol abuse, depressive illness, stress-related syndromes, eating disorders, and the rest have risen between 300 and 1,000% in the space of two generations. Why so? In 1968, I met the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson of blessed memory, for the first time. And while I was there, the Hasidim told me the following story. A man had written to the Rebbe in roughly these terms. I'm depressed. I'm lonely. I feel that life is meaningless. I try to pray, but the words don't come. I keep mitzvot, but find no peace of mind. I need the Rebbe's help. The Rebbe sent back a brilliant reply without using a single word. He simply circled the first word of every sentence and sent the letter back. The word in each case was I. Our contemporary consumer is constructed in the first person singular. I want, I need, I must have. There are many things we can achieve in the first person singular, but there's one thing we can't, namely simcha, because simcha is the joy we share, the joy we have only because we share. That said, Moshe, before the Israelites entered their land, would be their greatest challenge. Suffering, persecution, a common enemy, unite a people and turn it into a nation. But freedom, affluence and security turn a nation into a collection of individuals, each pursuing his or her own happiness, often indifferent to the fate of those who have less, the lonely, the marginal and the excluded. When that happens, societies start to disintegrate. At the height of their good fortune, this long, slow process of decline begins. The only way to avoid it, said Moshe, is to share your happiness with others and in the midst of that collective national celebration serve God. Blessings are not measured by how much we own or earn or spend or possess, but by how much we share. Simcha is the mark of a sacred society. It's a place of collective joy. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening. You can download a written version of my commentary and explore all my additional content by visiting www.rabbisax.org. This year, we also have an accompanying family edition of Covenant and Conversation aimed at connecting children and teenagers with these ideas and thoughts. For a family edition discussion sheet on this week's parasha, please go to www.rabbisax.org slash cc family edition.